and sometimes in the course of discussing Bible, God shows you something. So I thought I'd share it with you. Now, what I've observed recently, because I, 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 on YouTube I'll look for certain Bible preachers and kind of have them on in the background while I'm doing stuff. I can kind of multitask like that and pick up things. And I, one of the things I've noticed in the past year, maybe 18 months, is more and more people popping up talking about the rapture, the imminence of the rapture, kind of dating the rapture, which is fine by me. Uh, and a lot of them recently in the past, uh, this past year have been calling um, 2023 the year of the rapture. Now the reason they're doing it, I gotta see if I can find this one thing I have. I lose, I have so many things that I lose them. And I probably can't find it. Anyways, the reason they're doing it is because in Bishop Usher's book, and I had copies of it here somewhere, and I may find it, and I may not. There it is. In the Annals of the World on page 822, if you want a good history book, a Christian history book, a Bishop Usher, he was a pastor, a bishop of a church in London back in on the 25th anniversary of the King James Bible, he wrote a book called The Annals of World History. And it's a great history book if you're a Bible believer because he starts right with the garden and he dates everything from the garden forward and the birth of Abraham and all these things. And, and he goes all the way through until about the close of the Acts of the Apostles. And that's as far as his history book goes and he doesn't deal with anything after that. It's basically Bible history from the time of the garden till the close of the Acts of the Apostles. And in his book, along, and it's been corroborated by Sir Robert Anderson and a number of other astronomers, is that the date of when Jesus died on the cross was 30 A.D. And they went through, and there's a whole list here, from 22 to 37 A.D. of the various days when the Passover occurred. And as we know, Jesus died on a Thursday. I mean, if you're a Bible reader and you believe the Bible, and we've done the studies here before, because uh, Jesus uh, told uh, not only his disciples, but all people who will read his book in Matthew chapter 5, 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law, but I am come to fulfill the law, every jot and every tittle. And the, in the law of Moses was the Passover given in the 12th chapter of Exodus, and he was the Passover lamb, and they were to select the Passover lamb on the 10th day of the month. So he waited till a Sunday came along that he could do the triumphal entry on the 10th Sunday, which was a 10th, Monday the 11th, Tuesday the 12th, Wednesday the 13th, and then the whole congregation would kill the lamb on the 14th day and the first fruits of the 17th day, the third day he'd rise. So as you go through this list by Sir Robert Anderson, Bishop Usher, and other people, there's only three possible times when a Thursday occurred there, and that was in 22 A.D., 37 A.D., or 30 A.D., and it appears that it would be 30 A.D. based on his birth. And so, so here's what these men are doing. They are correct. The... Passover when Jesus died was 30 A.D. Their understanding, and I get it, is they're uh, looking at um, uh, two days, Hosea 6, 3. You remember the passage in Hosea, uh, the, the two-day theory? And then there's other places where the two days are found also. 
the day theory. We studied that. Um, why, seeing the times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that see him not see his days? And his days are a day like a thousand years. And he told the prophet Hosea in chapter 6, uh, verse 2, after two days he will re revive us. That's the Jews. After 2,000 years. In the third day he will raise us up and we'll live in his sight. That's the millennial kingdom. And so it's in the third day. And so, so they're basing it that the, the two days was from the time of the cross and then the millennial kingdom would start in, in 2030. And so then they're doing in their mind, they're subtracting Daniel's week. So 2023 is the time of the rapture. I hope they're right. I do. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I've been saying since 1996 it would occur in 2024 or 25. I hope they're right. I hope I'm wrong. They, when they started this year off, some of them predicted it would be Passover this year. That didn't occur. Then some of them predicted it would be Pentecost this year. That didn't occur. Now they're predicting tabernacles. So when I was on the phone with our, our missionary from Paraguay, he too is hoping it will be this uh, tabernacles coming up in September. Tabernacles is September, October. And he's hoping it's then. And I was telling him, no, I think it's Passover. And he said, no, it's tabernacles. And I said, okay. And he said, because he understands that Jesus Christ will come back the second time and tabernacle with his people at the Feast of Tabernacles when he'll set up the kingdom. So it made sense to him that we go up at tabernacles and then seven years of Daniel and then boom, he comes back. And so that makes sense. And I said, no, I think it's Pentecost. And he said, well, that doesn't make sense because then we go up and, and there's four months with nothing to occur there. So as we were talking through it, I, I, the Lord was kind of giving me some thoughts. I'll share them with you. I don't care if you believe them or not. Here's what I want you to believe. Jesus is the Christ. Believing you'll have life in his name. If you don't know anything else of the Bible, even if you don't know which Bible is God's, it won't matter. You're saved. He'll take care of you in the millennium. He'll put the right Bible in your hand and start teaching with you. That's what the millennium's for, a thousand years of being taught by Jesus so that finally we can go worship the Father in spirit and truth because we don't know what we're doing now. So that's why he's going to teach us for a thousand years. So get saved. Secondarily, if you do get saved and you'd like to serve better, get the right Bible. Now, this type of stuff is not necessary. When the revelation that came to me in 1996, in around September, October, when I was reading Luke chapter 2, and the first time the Lord kind of pushed me to see the rapture will be in the mid-20s. First, I wasn't happy about that. Are you kidding? I have to wait 30 years. I mean, why are you doing this to me? I felt like Lou Saban. You're killing me, Whitey. I mean, you'd have to go watch, watch the tapes of the Buffalo Bills. They're killing me, what they're doing out there. The team was so bad. The reporter asked him after the, the game, what do you think about the execution of your team? He said, I'm all for it. I mean, <laughs> it was just... But um, it troubled me to know that I had to wait 30 years for the rapture. Um, most people around 96 were predicting the rapture imminently even 2000 the latest and I knew it wasn't going to happen and then they started around 2007 why I don't know I knew it wasn't going to happen then the 400 year anniversary of the King James Bible they were all excited 
2011, and I was taking bets, it ain't gonna happen. Then the blood moons in 17 and 18. I said, nothing's gonna happen. Something's gonna happen. And people are sensing it, even people that don't know that much. I mean, there's at least four guys right now on the internet talking about 2023. So I hope, I hope they're right. In the meantime, let me, what I was trying to explain to our missionary in Paraguay, I think it's Pentecost, not Tabernacles. Why? Okay. The 23 that's important is Leviticus 23. I don't know if you're familiar with this chapter. Why, uh, seeing the times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? Now, now prophecy is not important for you to know, but sometimes it's important for you to hear because when we do break the bread, we look back to the cross and we look forward to the second coming. And it's encouraging <clears throat> to know that he's going to come back. But the Lord, in the 23rd chapter here, when he's speaking to um, the priests to help them order things for the worship services, he says to Moses, verse 2, speak to the children of Israel and say unto them concerning, underline, the feasts of the Lord. That's what they are. Who's speaking? Verse 1, the Lord. To whom is he speaking? Israel. Now the prophecies are given to Israel. Israel had prophecies. Uh, they were the committed the oracles of God and God wanted them to know. He said, I call the end from the beginning. Ye are my witnesses. Uh, these things are written for them to study. And good Jews that uh, studied uh, their Bible, like um, Simeon and Anna, studying Daniel uh, 9, knew when Jesus was going to come because God laid it right out there in the ninth chapter of Daniel. So they not only knew where he was going to be born in Bethlehem, they knew how he was going to be born of a virgin. They knew when he was going to come and do his work, which is why Simeon and Anna were so excited when the baby was born. <coughs> Sadly, most of the Jews weren't reading their Bible carefully. And they were indifferent to it. But here, he's talking about his feasts. And what he's going to do in the 44 verses of this uh, particular uh, chapter is he's going to lay out seven feasts. And he's going to lay them out according to three prime number months. God uses prime numbers a lot. Let me tell you, folks, we have so much to learn in the millennium. I don't know if you have time, but, but, and it's not important, and it's a, kind of a superficial thing. It might titillate you. Mark, you were talking about that guy, King James, no, urgent, exclamation, King James. You watch that and watch the numbers God packed in an English Bible. If you'd like to know this, there's a Jewish man that got saved. He has a, a website on YouTube called the Hebrew Bible. And just, um, I think it's called the Mystery of 153. And in John 20, you know, the 153 fishes that are caught, he goes back and shows how God packaged the 153 in Hebrew in the Masoretic text. All I'm telling you is we're going to have some amazing studies someday when the time comes. And God uses these prime numbers. And what he did is in month number one, he laid out three feasts. There was the feast of the Passover. You can read that there. 
in the 23rd chapter of Leviticus if you need to know where the source of the information is. It's Leviticus 23. He laid out the, the feast of the Passover. And the Passover is when they would kill the lamb on the 14th day. The very next day <coughs> began the feast of unleavened bread. And I wish I could write real nice like Robert Breaker. I'm sorry that I'm a doctor and my I can't even read my stuff. And, and so <coughs> this was on the 14th day. This is on the 15th day. And two days later on the 17th was first fruits. And this was in the first month of Abib, or Nisan, they call it. And this was uh, fulfilled at the first coming of the Lord. This was a work where the Lamb of God uh, did his work for the nation Israel and for the world too. But he came unto his own first. And, and so a Jewish Messiah came in a Jewish land to do a work for the Jewish people who also spilled out unto the Gentile and the Greek, whosoever would believe. And, and so there are three feasts right there. Then the Lord waits until the third month. So this would be month number. I forget the name of it, but it's the third month. This is usually March, April. What is it called? This is March, April here. This is May, June here. And then the seventh one is going to be over here. And he's using the prime numbers 1, 3, and 7. And in this one, he's going to have a, a single feast, and that's the Feast of Pentecost. And then he's going to have another grouping of three feasts over here in the seventh month. And the first one will be uh, the Feast of the Trumpets. And then there will be Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And the final one will be uh, Tabernacles. And Tabernacles is an eight-day feast. Uh, unleavened bread is seven plus with the Passover. That makes this eight days over here. First fruits is kind of buried in the middle of it. Day 14, day 15, day 17. And this runs from 15 to 21 or 22, I forget. And, and the eight-day feast there. Now, my understanding as I was reading my Bible is the most important thing to God the Father is God the Son. And so the Bible is the testimony about God's Son. This is the record that God hath written concerning His Son. And so in the Old Testament, He's the Messiah, the Christ. In the New Testament, He's got a name, Jesus. He's Jesus the Christ. That's the confession a Jew has to make. Jesus the Christ, that's a confession a Gentile has to make, understanding the importance of the new and the old married together. But <clears throat> as I was looking at this thing, I observed that God the Father and God the Son together have run two important uh, programs uh, through the ages. The one in the Old Testament to a nation, Israel. The other in a New Testament to his bride, the church. And these are the two major programs so as I looked here, we've got the Son, we've got Israel, we've got the church. Each grouping here applies to one of them, so to speak. So, so I was looking at and trying to figure out where does Jesus go? Where does Israel go? Where does the church go? Now, early on in my readings, my observation, 
going back was uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, when God was delivering the nation of Israel. And that's when he talked about the Passover lamb. And he, and he told them, you know, you're, you're to take this feast and make it a memorial of forever. This will be a, a service that you will keep uh, throughout the land. It's an ordinance of year to year for you to keep it. And in Exodus chapter 12, when he's delivering the people by the blood of the Passover lamb and the death angel comes in, it says in verse 40 of Exodus 12, the sojourning of the children of Israel uh, who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. Okay. And I remember he had made that promise back to Abraham. Your people are going to dwell in a strange land and I'll, I'll deliver them. And that was in the 15th chapter of Genesis. But notice the next verse. It came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the self same day that all the hosts of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. Uh, verse uh, 51 uh, and it came to pass the self same day the Lord did bring who are the hosts the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies and so my little mind at that time said oh it went from Passover to Passover I said then obviously this feast is Israel this is Israel this is the way my mind thinks not could be wrong could be right it's however you think is fine by me sorry this stuff is like in my mind so don't break with me just because i think differently with you just uh, I, we do believe jesus is the christ and we like to serve together so i saw this as israel now this one here in a very careful study and we've done it before in uh, luke chapter 1 and first chronicles 24 what you learn from Luke chapter 1 <clears throat> when it's the coming of the Lord and Luke is writing all these things. He tells his friend Theophilus that you might know the certainty of, of these uh, things which we believe and we've been instructed in. And he starts right off with a man named, uh, verse 5, Luke 1, 5. The man is named Zacharias, which is the Old Testament name means Zechariah. And Zechariah means... Uh, Zakar is to remember, and Ayah is the Lord, means the Lord remembers. And he's married to a girl named Elizabeth, and El is God, and Abeth is the house and the oath of God in his house. And so put together, it's the Lord remembers his oath to the house of God. And he had made promises in the Old Testament for the Messiah. So here he is beginning to finally work on the promises he's made. By the way, he, he's made promises to us individually, yeah, but more importantly, collectively, together. He has a plan. Wherefore, comfort one another by these words. Uh, we say this to you by the word of the Lord. All who sleep in Jesus will he raise to, to, to bring us together in the clouds to be with him forever. That's the plan he has for us. That's the, the second coming of the Lord. This was the first coming, and here he's bringing all this together. And it says in verse 5, this man, Zechariah, was of the course of Abiah. And that's where you'd have to go back to First Chronicles chapter 24. And we've done this study before. And in First Chronicles 24, it lays out the courses of the priests. And, and the way it worked out was um, all the priests obviously wanted to uh, serve at the temple. 
and, but the temple wasn't big enough for everyone to serve. So what had happened was in the 24th chapter of Chronicles, they made, uh, verse 1, the sons of Aaron were put into 24 divisions. And, and the 24 divisions are laid out in verses 7 through 18. And so each of them, and they lived in the hillsides around Judea. These are the sons of Aaron at their job to, to work at the temple. And they were divided into 24 courses. And reading through the Jewish books, they had a couple of weeks where they did the course. And 24 times 2 is 48. And it turns out in verse 10, now the seventh was to Hakos and the eighth to Abijah. And the eighth course was given to Abijah there. That's Zechariah from Luke chapter 1. And they began the courses at the Passover. And it turns out if you number the weeks from the time those priests began, the eighth course was somewhere around uh, June, I think the 14th or 15th to about the 21st or 22nd. And so he's in there doing his course, his first course. Uh, he'll have a second course later in the year. He gets to go twice. And he's in there doing his first course. And when he's in there, the angel of the Lord appears to him. I'm Gabriel. I'm standing in the presence of the Lord. And, and we've heard your prayers, you and your wife. You've been praying for a son. We're going to give you a son. And what happens is it came to pass as soon as the days of his ministration were uh, accomplished, on the 22nd or 23rd, he went home and his wife conceived which would be around June the 25th. That's when she conceived. And six months later, uh, Jesus is conceived, and Gabriel sent six months later, and Mary conceives. And it turns out, when you study this out, that Jesus was born at the time of tabernacles. And that's when he came to tabernacle with us. And so my thought is, the second coming will be Jesus coming back to Israel to put his feet on the ground and tabernacle. The first time they said, where's he that's born king of the Jews? He's a little baby. He wasn't ready to be a king yet. He still had to fulfill the prophet, uh, the office of prophet. He had to fulfill the office of priest, which he's doing now. The third time he's coming back to be king. When he sets his feet down, he's setting up his, thr his kingdom. And so, so in my mind, I could see, okay, tabernacles to tabernacles, that's Jesus. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting these things together. Well, all I got left is the church. Well, that in my mind, okay, uh, I know Acts chapter 2, what happened? Remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father. And then, then he went up and he had just been crucified on the Passover. He rose on the day of the first fruits. He stayed with his men uh, for 40 days. Somewhere it's got the 40. Yeah, uh, verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. He stayed with his men for 40 days and then, then he ascended into heaven and then 10 days later was the Pentecost chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost came and, and suddenly the, the men are preaching and the Holy Ghost is not just in them but filling them. And, and they're preaching and people are being saved and 3,000 are added to the church. So I see the birth of the church. I'll use blue for church because it's heavenly. I don't know, just different colors. Um, green for Israel because they're living in the land and uh, we're going up in the clouds. 
And so here's what my mind thought. I could be right or wrong. It was the self-same day for Israel. I thought it's going to be a self-same day for the church. It came out on, on this day. It will go up on that day. All right, makes sense, sort of. But then Marcus said, but, but then what about this period in here? What about this period in here? And, and he might have the answer for us. Then again, he just ran away, so you don't want to answer it. Okay, so I, I started thinking about this. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you the thoughts that I came up with. I want to go back and I want to draw the cross of Calvary there. And I'll take you through a few verses. I'm going to erase those numbers because if I go any lower, you folks aren't going to see it. So let me erase the numbers there. And I'll draw the cross of Calvary. And Okay, so we got this down. And from the, the feasts of the Lord, it appears God's timetable works on these feasts. By the way, we've all heard the saying, Matthew 25, uh, 24, uh, Luke 17 and 21, uh, Mark 13, no man knows the day or the hour. No man, that's, that's correct. That day, it's eight days long. Okay, if let's say we disappeared now, please, even so, okay. We're still here, shucks. Okay, but if we did, and we disappeared now, so on Sunday, we disappeared, July, whatever, whatever, and the newspapers tomorrow talk about all the aliens that scooped us up, and and. And they gotta explain it somehow. So so we're so we're gone and the world's talking about it. And and then <clears throat> let's say the tribulation uh, begins in a few months and the seals are open and everything is, is happening. And Jews are getting saved. The hundred forty four thousand are preaching, and Jews are getting saved. And they do like Jesus say, they go out, they hide, and they go to Sela Petra and they're waiting. And and a smart Jew <clears throat> says, When did all those people disappear? In July of twenty twenty three. And, and according to Daniel, it's seven years. Then we know seven years from now, he's coming back. And they're right about that. What day? I don't know, because it's any one of eight days. You won't know the day. Jesus can pick any one of those eight days of tabernacles to land his feet down here. That's why even a Jew who has all the knowledge of when the people just disappeared seven years ago can't know the day. This is a single day. Th this is easy to know. I mean... Now, whatever you see is fine by me. I like that too. You can come any day. I don't think so. I'm afraid God's laid this out. He's coming on a Pentecost, it would seem to me. Now, but, but the argument is, well, if it's Pentecost, then there's this empty four months in here with nothing going on. So while I was talking to him, the Lord was throwing verses together in my mind to get some understanding. So we go back to the cross. And, and, and let's pretend we'll make this one big lump. We'll make it the three days with the resurrection. So when you're looking at this, you're looking at the crucifixion and the resurrection. So what happened on the resurrection? Well, John chapter 20 is the resurrection in John. And I wanted to look at this one for a moment because this one fulfills a promise that he had said earlier in the Gospel of John, it's expedient that I go away. If I don't go away, I can't send the Comforter. But if I do um, go away, then the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, uh, he not only dwell with you, he will dwell in you. And he's promising the mystery of the indwelling Spirit. 
which is a mystery of the New Testament church. And here it is the first day of the week. And we see in the beginning of verse one, it's the first day of the week. We know that Mary Magdalene comes. We see later on that uh, he appears to Mary in uh, verse 16, Mary. And then she realizes who it is. We read later that he reveals himself to Peter. We read in Luke chapter 24, he talks to the two men on the road to Emmaus. And then in verse 19, at the end of the day, in the evening, he shows up in the upper room. And when he shows up in the upper room, uh, verse 20, he showed the disciple his hands and he showed them his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And he said in verse 22, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And what I see happening here, and then what's his name? Uh, Luke told us for the next 40 days, he's appearing to people. Now, my observation was, let me see if I can get this right here. Here is the time of, let's say, the first day, we'll call it the resurrection. And in Pentecost, over here, 50 days later, the Spirit comes down and the disciples, Peter and John and then Andrew and James, they start doing all the preaching. But for the first 40 days, privately, it's Jesus doing a private work, revealing himself to people. Not disciples, the work is all Jesus. He's meeting people. He's revealing himself to people for this little period in here, this silent little period in here. Now, I will say this. He is building his church because if he gives the Spirit to someone who believes in him, they're baptized into the body of Christ. They're part of the body of Christ. So in this period here, the church is, I would say, privately conceived. I'm looking for portraits. How does a mom and dad make a baby? They have to conceive the baby. Where do they do it? In an upper bedroom. Here he's in the upper room. He's doing the conception. The baby is publicly born later. See, here is the public manifestation of the church on Acts 2. But initially, the private work is done up there. It's like mom and dad in the bedroom. The baby's born nine months later. God didn't want to wait nine months. He let it come quickly. Now, if we're right, and the church goes up also at Pentecost, what he's been doing is publicly using disciples... For 2,000 years, he's been building his church. What's going to happen for the four months in between? Jesus is going to mop up. He's going to do the work. How can you say that? Well, let me show you some verses. Jesus can save somebody without you. Not, not, and I, I think it's great that he uses us. I appreciate being in his service. I appreciate it. He says, get in the yoke with me, learn of me. But when you're in the yoke with me, guess who's doing the work? God's giving the increase. I mean, you, you don't have any haughty notions about you. I mean, it's, what am I doing? I'm passing out something that he wrote. I'm talking about him. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm ashamed of me. I wouldn't waste my time talking to someone about me. Nobody needs to hear about me. Nobody needs to hear stories about what Bernie and I did as kids. Nobody needs to hear about what I did as a doctor. You need to hear about what Jesus did on the cross. Okay, so we understand that. So, so let me show you something. Um, in John chapter 1, the ability of Jesus to work without you. Why are you telling me this, Brother Mike? Uh, the reason I'm telling you this is uh, here's what I know is troubling your heart. What troubles your heart is this. I mean, not trouble to be saved. It's good to be saved. You have loved ones that you want to be saved also. And you're trying to get them saved. And when somebody says, if, if I was able to tell you tomorrow, if God just wrote an, a, a, a tract and sent it down from heaven like Bill Eubanks and it rained down on us and it was from God and it said tomorrow is rapture you would be both excited and depressed you'd be excited for self and depressed about all the members of my family that aren't saved and what he's trying to show you here is I've got a plan for those members of your family you've been working on John chapter 1 when uh, Jesus was appearing himself uh, for the first time after the baptism and uh, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, the next day he said, This is the Son of God. He says in verse 36, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples follow Jesus. And they go spend time with Jesus. Uh, verse uh, 40, And one of the two which heard uh, John the Baptist speak, who had followed him, Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he runs and he finds his brother. Same thing you and I want to do. We want to find a member of our family. We want to tell them. We found the Messiah. It's the Christ. And brought him to Jesus. And then Jesus, uh, you know, meets with them. The next day following, Jesus went into Galilee and found Philip all by himself. He didn't use any of the other disciples. He found them all alone. That's just like one little thing put there for you to file that away. Jesus is saying, I can find somebody without your help. Now, if I do find them, then what did Philip do? He ran and, and told Nathaniel. And most of the winning of souls that have been done for the 2,000 years is once the church was publicly birthed and, and brought out into the open, disciples would go about and, and win people like that book that I saw years ago and people would be, for this period they would be one by one. One person would win someone to Christ. And that's how he's mostly done it. But there's going to be a time when we disappear. Now what's going to happen? Go to the book of the Revelation, chapter 14. And we'll pick it up in verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. God, God trying to teach us patience. Part of the patience is learning to wait on God. Whether it's an issue in our own life. God, I have two job offers. I don't know which one to take. This one's got more money. I'd like to sign it right now. 
And the Spirit of God says, wait. Wait on me to let you know which is the better of the two. The one may reward you with more money, but the other may give you more of an opportunity to witness, and that one's going to give you more gold that doesn't perish. Wait on me to show you which the right thing is. So you've had these decisions in your life. I don't know which college to go to. I don't know. Anyways, the patience of saints. Now, the patience of saints is learning to wait on God when we're trying to win someone to the Lord. I mean, I know how I want it to be the same way. When I first got saved, I went and told my mom, I thought she got saved right there. Boom, I figured within 10 minutes she'll get it. Whew. How long did that take? Now, I got saved in 93. She got saved in 2001. Was it eight years? Yeah, I think it was eight years. That was not fun. It was not fun because my mother was a sick woman. I was like, she could die any minute, Lord. You know, and I'm concerned about her. I'm trying to reach out to her. I'm, I'm getting people stopping me. My dad would stop. I would send letters. He'd throw, he'd throw them away. I, you know, I, I'm trying to get around by send letters. He'd intercept them. I mean, it, was very, it wasn't easy. And so, but, but finally, you know, we got to mom. But the patience of the saints. Now, who are these saints? Verse 12. The ones that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Verse 13. I heard a voice from heaven and said, I want you to write this, John. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. When, when you and I are trying to win someone to the Lord, we're sowing seed. Any farmer knows you don't sow seed and the crop doesn't come up the next day. Matter of fact, uh, farmer Fred uh, had sowed a real good crop uh, he w- he lived next to Mr. Douglas uh, and in Green Acres, and he and he and he had, his, he had a pig, and and he sowed a real good crop in in March, and he died in June, but the crop still came out in September. And and I when we used to do the Mother's Day uh, sermons here, which I don't know if we'll ever do them again, but when we did, you know, you got to do the poems and all that. I found a poem about an old guy in his 60s and he in the poem he's talking about how when he was growing up his mom used to pray for him and his mom used to witness to him and his attitude was like come on mom you old fuddy-duddy I got my buddies and we're going out and we're gonna go on the town Friday night and Saturday night and got a hangover and all that and I'm not going to church and and that's what he did and his mom died and he still was unsaved and she was broken on her deathbed her son is as an alcoholic not saved five years later he got saved and then he wrote a poem about the effect that his mother's prayer and Bible reading had on him and his salvation. The works followed after. So here's what I think the Lord is going to do in this four-month period. The Lord began privately building his church here, and Pentecost he handed the baton over to us. And when we go up in Pentecost for this four-month period, the Lord himself is going to come back and mop up on the faithful works that we've done. And this is the patience of saints that we rest and we wait on him. You can trust him. If, you are, if you're faithful. Now I know Christian parents that haven't been faithful. Shame on them. They'll be ashamed before their Lord. They, they didn't try and talk to their kids about the Lord. They, they didn't have a Bible to talk to them with. They, didn't, they don't know anything. The average evangelical Christian's Bible knowledge is curb level. 
Ask them, give me three verses on salvation. They can't. Men, give me three verses on sports. They can't. Ladies, give me three verses on raising kids. Go, go, go to any mega church. Ask them in the parking lot. Buttonhole them. Ask them. They don't know anything. So if you don't know something, you're not going to talk about something you don't know. You don't want to go around giving medical advice if you don't know anything about medicine. I'm not going to give spiritual advice if I don't know anything spiritually. I just know I'm saved. I just know I take medicine, but I don't give it to anyone. Okay, so the Lord, if you've been faithful, he's going to do this work for you. And he's going to do it for four months. Now, it's very curious. Going back to the book of Revelation, go to Revelation 2 and 3. This is what I'm seeing. I think the Lord is faithful and true. So it, it gives me a lot of comfort to know the winning of the soul is his responsibility. My responsibility is being faithful in sowing seed and watering it with prayer. And the increase is his. In the book of Revelation, we know chapters 2 and 3 are the church. And, and all through there, seven times, he, he'll say things like verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He says that like seven times in there. But later on in the book, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith, and not unto the churches, because the churches are gone. The church is gone at the end of the third chapter. The church goes up in chapter 4. I look and behold a door is open in heaven and the voice of a trumpet. Jesus is going to come with the trump of God. He's going to blow the trumpet, not one of the angels. He's going to blow it. And he's going to say, come up hither. And immediately I'm in the spirit and I'm in the throne in heaven. And I notice before the tribulation begins, there are two full chapters. Tribulation doesn't begin to chapter 6. And it's almost like those two chapters represent half of the four-month period. Why so much more? I'm going to give a double portion. I'm going to give a double portion to my faithful servants. Not just two months, four months. And I'm going to do the mop-up work. So this is what I saw when I was talking to uh, uh, Brother Marcus the other day, that the Lord is mirroring this thing. It begins privately. I've turned it over to you publicly. I, you, the baton, I take it back. And now I finish up until, boom, now here, the trumpets and the seals are open, and now we go seven years forward. And so, again, my thought is still, it's Pentecost. I hope they're right. I hope it's this tabernacles. We're only about five, six weeks away. I can handle that. What's that? Was that like 35 days, 40 days? Deal me in. I'll ante up. But I have a feeling it's that, and I have a feeling that's one of the reasons he's going to do it, is so that he has an opportunity to privately mop up on some of the work that we've faithfully done in sowing and watering and sowing and watering, and he's, he's faithful and true, and he knows, and just like that, that uh, lady who had the drunken son got saved. Now, he, he realized, I've got five years, so I'm not sure how he's going to do it. I'll, I'll give you an idea how he might do it. Here's, here's what he might do. Go to, to Luke chapter 24. He might do this. I'm not sure. Do you remember how he showed himself to his disciples? And the, the disciples were kind of ready to get saved because they had heard so much about him for all those years. Even though they were slow of faith, they finally got it. Well, I, here's, here's what he may do. Luke chapter 24. Verse 13. 
Now on this particular chapter, it's the chapter of the resurrection. Please close that door if you can. Please close that door. Thank you. This is the resurrection chapter. And it says, uh, verse 13, And behold, the two of them, the same day of the resurrection, went to Emmaus, a village, about three score furlongs from Jerusalem. If you're, we used to go to the track like my grandpa, uh, there's eight furlongs and a mile, so that would be seven and a half miles, about a two-hour walk, a little less than that. And they're walking and they're talking about all the things which had happened. Now that would be the resurrection. Now we're going to rock it forward to, let's say, the rapture occurs. You know what people can be talking about? People who have hung around Jerusalem, people who have hung around Christians. What happened with that disappearance? I know the government keeps telling us that it's aliens, but I remember my Uncle Fred kept telling me, one of these days if I disappear, it's not aliens. It's something called a rapture. And so these two people are walking around talking about all these things. And, and, and here's Jesus He's looking over the whole world to see who is interested about the truth of these events based on what they've heard from the Bible. Uh, verse 15, it came to pass while they communed and reasoned, Jesus uh, drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Jesus came down in an appearance like a man just to reason with them. Come now, let us reason together. He wanted to search out what was in their mind and in their heart. What he's going to do is uh, verse 17, he'll ask, what, what manner of these communications you're having one with another? What? Have you not heard about the rapture? Didn't you hear? Have you not heard about the disappearance, the vanishings? Didn't you hear about the vanishings? And our government says it was UFOs, but, but it's a funny thing, you know, with uh, six billion people on the planet with cell phones, not one UFO was captured. For goodness sakes, those things do take pictures, don't they? I mean, I don't have them, but I was told they can take pictures. I mean, somebody would have gotten a picture. And not one single picture and evidence there. And so Jesus, he's, what things? And they keep talking. And well, concerning the disappearings. And somebody said it was a rapture. And they, my, my uncle was a believer. And then verse 25, you fools, you slow of heart. Let me show you things. And then he begins to open the scriptures to them. And then what happens is, depending on their response, my mom told me this. She told me this. She said I'd disappear. She said the dogs have been left behind. I have to feed them. I've had to feed these dogs for three weeks now. When's she coming back? And, and then and then it's all coming together. And, and then he opened their scripture at verse 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn while he talked with us and opened the scriptures? And so I have a feeling, again, how are you born again? By the incorruptible seed of the word of God. He's not just going to say, here I am, I'm Jesus, look at the holes. He's going to reason with them. He's going to talk with them at a time when they're in a valley. They've lost mem members of their family who've talked to them before, and he's going to kind of complete the witness. This is what I think is going to happen. This is my thought. And that's all I got for you today. And so, look. Yes, Question. Yes. If, yes, this, and here's what it will be. That's a good question. If they pop up, yes, because th here is when the beginning of the purifying of Israel is. These people were added to the church. These are added to the church. What I think is happening is there's a passage in Corinthians, the first fruits, 
the harvest, and then this is the gleanings that Dr. Ruckman had talked about. And he gleans the last little bits of the harvest right here. Yes. Oh, the, uh, she's talking about the deception in Second Thessalonians. So that's that's that happens after the uh, abomination of desolation. In the first three and a half years, people are saved. In the second three and a half years, it looks like nobody's saved after the abomination. As a matter of fact, that's why there's a verse in Revelation chapter eight, verse one: "There's silence for a half hour in heaven." The tribulation is called an hour in Revelation 17. So the first half hour, people are getting saved. Multitudes are getting saved. Read the seventh chapter. Look at it. Um, But after the death and hell follows, nobody getting saved then. So that's the good news for the... I say stay faithful, keep witnessing, keep praying for family members. We go up. Your Lord will come back. He'll do the gleanings if we're correct here. And if I'm wrong and the other guys are right, we can take it up with them. Maybe we can protest. We've got a whole bunch of us with signs around the throne. You were unfair to our relatives. Or some, uh, I don't know. Just kidding. Don't, you don't put that on film. Okay. 